Hello everyone. Good evening. It is a Thursday. A reminder, it is a Thursday. <laughs> it's July 2nd of 2020. Six months have passed by and we are on the month of July. Welcome to another episode of Rethink Culture. Uh, today we will be touching on a series right and this is a series it's an effort that i've been doing for the past three weeks in the spirit of rethinking culture in the spirit of building hardship in the spirit of diversity so welcome to part four of dismantling discrimination enabling diversity through four ships this series is made possible by chief of hearts a culture science company i am your host Mila Dishon founder and CEO of Chief of Hearts. So this whole landscape that we are existing in has been revealing a lot of themes that is acting as a wake-up call for all of us. BLM has catalyzed awareness on the lack of equity and humane treatment in our society as a whole. This movement has eliminated a global epidemic. I'm saying an epidemic because it is not just found in the United States, it is happening in every part, every corner of the world, right? An epidemic where discrimination is becoming like a tsunami in every part of communities. When I say discrimination, it comes in the form of race, gender, colour and more. These past three weeks, I sat with POC communities from around the globe to engage in conversations to hear the struggles and how they have navigated through the viscose landscape throughout their whole lives and the solutions they have found along the way. I also had the opportunity to get real with POC community in how discrimination must and even amongst ethnic groups. Additionally, I had the white community last week to explore how they can become sponsors in this space as well. To dismantle discrimination, racism and to enable change, we must have real honest conversations about struggles of the dismissed. Change does not happen overnight, nor does it come in a schematic of one formula solves all. Change comes in progressions, and this is important to approach these progressions from an agile approach and an approach that embraces from a widened lens. Today, we will be diving deep into solutions that isn't coming from a singular lens, but it comes from a lens that has diversity in mind, right? So to explore deeper, I have a epic, not epic, it's epic humans. I have got brilliant epic humans. I'm going to bring them on one by one and then I'll ask them to introduce themselves, but let me bring them all on first. First, I have Kim Middlebrooks, so please do bear with me as I introduce them and add them one by one. And I've got Gabe Leal, and then I have got Andrea Sanchez, and then next up, I've got Shatley Baggers, and, and then I have got Melody D. Guzman. Yes. Welcome, everyone, to the show. It's such an honor to have you. It's such 
and honored to have all of your voices. How is everyone doing? Good, thank you for having us. Yes. Great, yeah, thank you. Wonderful, thank you. Thanks a lot. <laughs> always, always, anytime. Awesome. Um, awesome. You know, I, I, I just, let me just say real quick, um, thank you ladies, every single one of you. Um, being as I'm the only male here, I, I am honored to be to be here with all of you because um, I think all of you are, are, are really impact, powerful, impactful women, and I think um, we need a lot of that in this world. So um, I, I just feel honored to be here with all of you, and um, let's do this. I'm ready. <laughs> this is why I love Gabe. <laughs> but, but I want to, before I start, I want each of you to introduce yourselves. Um, so let's go around. Let's start with Kim. Hello, hello, everyone. Um, my name is Kimberly Middlebrooks. I am a career coach and interview strategist. I've been working in the field of HR um, probably for the last nine plus years. I always hesitate to say that because I feel like I'm aging myself, but that's the deal. That's how long I've been doing it. Um, and I'm super excited to have this conversation, of course, um, I think we can all agree that there is a, a ton of work that needs to be done, um, especially when we think of like corporations and just like the, the the structure of work and what that looks like in respects to uh, discrimination. Um, so yeah, very excited to be here and happy to uh, share thoughts with all of you all. And I'm very uh, empowered and very hopeful that some really great solutions that we can implement going forward are going to come from this conversation. So thank you, Mila. Thank you for being here, Kim. Gabe. Yes. So, guys, my name is Gabriel Lil. I host a, I am a live streaming broadcast host. So I host a regular show that I do Monday through Friday. But I also do a little bit more than that. I create content. I also host roundtables, which address a lot of these topics. And on top of that, I do, I am a father for, I have, uh, three daughters. So this is why I love talking about women because I love strong, empowered women because they are examples for my daughters going forward into the future. So um, I I am also, I have two jobs, four dogs. I, I have a very active lifestyle. Um, I love all things living. I'm always, again, looking for the best in everybody. It's always, it's one of the traits that I, I strive to do every day. So this is um, my mission in life is to find people who have hearts like um, you guys here to have it is to have these conversations. Um, it's very important for us to open a lot of these channels um, because I think that's the first step in, 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 in finding understanding and finding solutions is always to open the, 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 the communication. It's, it's always, it's so different. It's sometimes it floors me that communication is one of the hardest things to do in such crucial times. Um, so, you know, just that and then we'll go from there. So thank you, ladies. Again. Thank you. Andrea. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Mila, for the opportunity and for being in such a honorable and wonderful panel here with everyone here. I um, 
I have, speaking of aging oneself, I have over 20 years experience in communications. I've been working in the communications field forever, uh, mostly in the nonprofit arena, um, more um, recently uh, for a clean energy company. So I, I do that on the day job. My passion projects, however, um, when I have the free time at nights, is uh, I started a community about five years ago called Dare to Be on Twitter. And uh, we have a Twitter chat every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. And we talk about and dare each other to, to think differently, talk about everyday topics, but think differently and think unconventionally um, beyond the status quo. Um, I also have found that through this whole COVID crisis and everything that's just catapulted since then uh, with everything going on in, the, in society, I've come to realize that I don't want to be just someone observing. I want to be someone that's taking action. So I, I'm, I never thought I would do this, but I did start an online rally last weekend for hope and kindness, and I'm actually going to continue doing that. So I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for being here. Shall I? Hi, everyone. Um, Mila, thanks so much for having us. And thank you to the rest of the panel. I'm honored to be here with you. Um, I'm Shelley Burgess. I am um, first and foremost, I'm the mother of, of two beautiful children. I have a 19 year old son and I have a 16 year old trans masculine non-binary child. Um, I learn a ton from them every single day. I, I am also, my career is um, I have an education background. I spent over 20 years in education um, as teacher, principal, um, assistant superintendent um, of educational leadership, um, lots of work coaching and supporting principals. And I am uh, the co-author um, of a book, um, Lead Like a Pirate, Make School Amazing for Your Students and Staff. Um, and then um, my role currently um, is no longer in the education system, uh, working in schools and in districts, but um, I work um, full-time with my husband with an educational consulting and publishing company. So we do um, a, a lot of publishing of books that are specifically for educators and for um principles for teachers um they're they're different from a typical education book in the sense that they really all of them are um, written by teachers by principals by they're written by practitioners uh that are in schools in classrooms um doing the real work with with real kids and um so yeah that's a little bit about me i'm, I'm really excited to be joining this conversation um i am on a journey um, in this space, I am on a journey to um, becoming um, anti-racist, to becoming a co-conspirator. I, um, but I'm on a journey. I am, and I, I think uh, I appreciate being invited into the conversation. And I look forward to learning with you and from all of you today. So thank you. Thank you, Shelley. Melanie. Hi everyone, uh, first off to echo what everyone said, I am so happy and grateful to be sharing the stage with all of you. Hearing just from your introductions, it is, uh, I know that this is gonna be an amazing panel. Uh, so uh, my name is Melanie Guzman and I have been on the digital media side of broadcast for the past 15 years. Uh, I'm coming, uh, coming to you from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and I'm also a uh, a co-founder of a women in technology group here in Toronto, and uh, I am a public speaker and a mentor. 
So I'm, I'm very excited to, uh, to have this conversation and learn from all of you. Thank you, Matlamine. Such a pleasure having all of you here. Just brilliant minds, brilliant hearts. I've worked with each of you either on Twitter or, you know, <laughs> engaged in a dialogue or conversation on Twitter or in pattern or I've done projects with you in some sort of way we have collaborated. So it's such an honor having each of you here. And just to start off the conversation, I, I know for the past three weeks, uh, there's a lot of talk about, you know, uh, racism and, and you know, diversity. For, for the past, I've never seen, oh my God, <laughs> in the past one month, I have never seen employers, right, <laughs> advertise for diversity positions at this rate. This is the highest rate that I have seen. There are two sides of this, right? From the research that I've been doing, there are two sides of this story. There are employers and organizations and businesses who truly, genuinely want to shift the paradigm, who want to shift the status quo. And then there's the other side of the coin where organizations are putting this as a PR stunt, right? Where if you look at the job postings, you will know what is a PR stunt and what is genuinely, uh, it's a genuine effort, right? So I want to find solutions from a very genuine effort. Uh, the space is safe. The this, this space is to, to dive really deep and to bring solutions. And also I urge viewers, listeners out there to have an open mind because solutions do not come from a singular lens. One size dress does not fit all. I can attest to that. I bought one size, one size fits all dress and it does not fit me. It does not fit everyone. <laughs> I can attest to that. So solutions, solutions, how we design solutions does not fit everyone. The schematic is, is false. It's not a cookie cutter. So to start the conversation, right? Dismantling discrimination does not follow one particular schematic, as I mentioned just now. And we must approach it from a holistic view because how we exist as humans, it's not just how we share only at the workplace, right? We are whom we are at the workplace, at home, in societies, in communities. We carry whatever that we carry as we go along. You can't be happy in one place and sad at one place if you... If you experience grief and sadness at home, it will carry to the space where you work. So that's why I always say culture and diversity and efforts surrounding culture and diversity isn't singular. It's not an isolated team. It needs to be approached from a holistic view. So what does this solutions look like when we approach from a holistic view? I want to hear from your individual efforts and your thoughts and insights. I, I think to... To just begin, we need to acknowledge that we all carry some level of racism, discrimination, unconscious bias like within ourselves. And we think that only other people are the problem before tackling our own thoughts and feelings, the progress is going to be really slow. So because we have been breathing this systemic racism our whole lives, and we don't know any different, but we know at least that that different is better than what we have now. So I believe of first making a decision 
on your own personal stance when it comes to this topic. Because who we are in this movement, um, if you're not actively doing something to fix it, you're actively supporting the status quo. And we know that the status quo isn't the right move for us. Unmute. Um, and I'm happy to add to that. And Melanie, I appreciate um, all the things that you said. And I, I think one of the things that, that resonates with me is you talking about um, that journey that you have to do um, within yourself. Because I would, um, I would very much have described myself um, as somebody who is not racist, who um, has tried to um, combat some of the, the racism and things that I have seen in schools. Um, but I, I think that I was a person who would who did look more at it other people than it is me. And so I think that um, that's been a really important part of my journey is to acknowledge um, and understand myself and some of my own biases and some of my own um, unpacking. Um, of that has been really important. And so when I when I think about this this concept of the holistic approach, I, I agree with you 100%. It's, it ha really has to start with taking um, a look at you and taking having an honest assessment of who you are, the system that you've been raised in, the influences that you've had, and the, the biases that, that come with that. And so I think that's a really impart, important part of the journey is, um, is deciding that that's something that you're going to do. And then, and then from there, I think it's also when you realize that is the learning and growth journey that you take. Um, who are you learning from? Who are the conversations? Um, who are the people you're engaging in conversations with? Who, who are you um, letting you give feedback? You know, people who give you feedback. I, so I think that there's that own, your own learning journey that you have to grow on. And I think that that very next piece is, and as you do that, what's the action that you personally take? And I think that there's, that piece of looking at, um, and I think people, um, some of my white peers talk to me um, a lot. Where do I start? I don't know what to do. I don't know. And it's, and and I think part of it is what, where is the influence that you have right now? And and it may not be a societal global influence that you have, but you have influence over the conversations you have with your children. You have influence over the conversations that you have with a colleague. You have influence over when you hear something said, do you stay silent? Do you stay silent or do you call it out? Um, so you, where does, where is your influence? And I think that as you start to take small steps um, in the space where you have influence, it also leads you to places of connecting with communities or connecting with other like-minded people. And so I, I think that there's all of those pieces really are, you know, I, I see it as a journey from exploration of self to connection with um, community and working with that community to take bigger, bolder action. So this is a little bit about my thought. I love that. And I can completely relate to Shelly and Melanie. Um, I love the question that you pose of where's the influence you have right now and what can you do about that? I, I believe in that so much. And, and I think I think uh, just as human beings in general, we tend to put things in boxes, whether we realize it or not. It's just 
how our mind works, um, whether we're, we're taught that way, but, but our mind doesn't like to wander. It doesn't like, if not, it starts making assumptions. So what does it do if it doesn't have the facts? It starts putting, categorizing things and assuming, you know, putting things really neatly, whether we know it or not. And it comes down to everything, if you can think about it. Um, the first key is awareness that we're doing that. Um, and in regards to discrimination and inclusion, I think that more often than not, um, many people believe that it's not their responsibility, that it's up to the leader to, to speak up. It's the last up to the leader to, to really um, change things around. And they're just waiting and they get frustrated because nothing's being done. They're waiting. But really, we need to remember that just because we put we even put leaders in certain boxes on how they need to act. And we don't have to do that anymore. We can, we are all leaders in ourselves. We have that. We just have to activate that and um, realize that we don't have to be boxed in to behave a certain way. So for me, my awakening was throughout this whole year, I think 2020, everyone mentions how, what a horrible year it's been. Yes horrible circumstances, but I think it's truly a year of perfect vision because it's awakened a lot of vision in me um, to really, instead of waiting for things to get done and, and getting frustrated about what I read in the news and, and no action is happening, is it's a year to step up and to go beyond the status quo and get outside the box and, and, and try doing things on your own. As you said, you know, your influence realize what influence you can really have right now. I mean, any little thing you do can be contagious. So you need to take that first step. All right. Well, yes, to kind of agree with everything that um, you ladies have said, excuse the thunder, it's a little bit loud out here. I'm sorry about that, but um, we must continue on with the show. Um, no, but to, to what you, what each of you have said, it is so true what we have to do. Um, and it all starts all of course with ourselves. Look at our, you know, understand our biases, open ourselves up, learn a lot about who we are as people, you know, and also for us to understand that we have the power to, to do the change that we're asking about, what we're talking about, what we're doing holistically here. I, I have taken on a zero tolerance policy in my own life. So if somebody says, so in the past, if somebody would have said something that would have been maybe derogatory or, or oh, hey, hey, wink, wink, it's a joke. I tell them now, that was a part of me that didn't used to do that. Where I'm learning as I go along, along as I'm growing, because I'm retraining my mind to say, that's not okay. In any way, shape or form, it is not okay. If you don't say something, you might as well be saying it yourself. And that is the one thing that needs to change. I've taken on that policy. I'm teaching people as well. You don't know, but the sideways comments and the, and the backhanded comments that you say jokingly or do with other people, that hurts somebody. It really does. It has an effect on somebody. And yes, they might not say nothing. They might be quiet. You might say this in a group of people at work. You might say this in a group in the chat or whatever. I see that now, I say, wait a minute, hey, first of all, that is crossing a line and a barrier that you should rethink and look back at yourself. Because if we're going to change everything, we have to change it 100%. And it's a, it's a trained, learned process. 
So how do you get rid of it? You have to take the same approach. Use it backwards. Retrain the mind. When people know this around you, they start to get uncomfortable saying these sort of things. It makes them think. Whereas before they didn't at all, they would just say whatever comes to their mind. Now, I'm the one that makes them feel uncomfortable so they don't have to say that around me. Because to me, that's there is no there is no reason to call it, whether you're talking about uh, people of color, you're, whether you're talking about women, whether you're talking about LGBT, any of it, there is no place in my world, and I don't think there's no place in the world for that. And understanding that and being able to say that, that's how I start the process. Hopefully more people see it and go, wow, okay, he, uh, maybe I'll take his example and I'll tell them. You ought to think about it. You really should. You're hurting somebody somewhere. And that's the that's the crucial thing. If you're going to talk about it, doing holistically, say something, open your mouth. I know for years I never did it. I look back in it and I anguish and thinking about the thoughts of, of, of what I went through. But you know what? Going forward, if I accept it, I'm just as bad as they are. So for me, that's how I approach it every single day now. Thank you, ladies. Awesome. I think you all have done such a, a really good idea of uh, laying you know, this topic out and really expanding it and, and, and digging deep. Um, you know, I, I really agree um, with, with everyone, um, especially Andrea and Gabe, you know, that personal evolution to getting to a point where certain things are just not okay and they're not the standard. I completely agree with that. I think that we can all empower ourselves to recognize when things are not the way they should be and to empower ourselves. Um, and Andrea, to your point, you know, I do think that this is a time to activate the, the personal power that we have and the power and leadership that we have within ourselves to call things out, to make things known. Um, you know, I really feel as well, a big part of this conversation is going to be honoring the different nuances that fall under discrimination, right? We can look at it like an umbrella, but it has certain parts and pieces. And I think when we begin to understand those parts and pieces, even if and when they make us uncomfortable, I think we'll be better for it in the long run um, because it helps to widen our perspective so that we can understand the perspectives of perspectives of other people. Like when we talk about racism, racism is more so like a system that has been set to hold back or to stifle a specific group of people. When we talk about prejudice, that's more so on the personal end, right? Those are your your views and your biases against people um, that might look like you or might not look like you or might be different. Um, and then of course, someone mentioned earlier about implicit bias which are those little teeny tiny thoughts you have very close to prejudice that you don't even realize you have. You don't even realize you're doing it. So I think all of those concepts kind of fall under that discrimination umbrella. And when we really begin to understand them on a one-to-one -one basis, and when we're open to hearing someone else's perspective on those things, especially people who are affected by some of those things, um, then I think we can really begin to make change. Um, I think a lot of what's going on in the main 
mainstream conversation. As Mila said, you know, there are some organizations and some groups that are taking a stance. And then there are some that are just kind of doing something just so they can not go down in history as the corporation that didn't say anything. But I think it's futile, right? It's not really getting to the root of the problem. And I think a part of that is just really not understanding what the problem is. You know, the point was brought up earlier. People um, in certain groups are like, I just don't know what to do and what to say. And that's a very valid concern and that's a very valid sentiment but then i think sometimes just listening to groups and listening to the pain and the hurt as i said as uncomfortable as it is i think is going to be able to push us forward because it's going to bring a level of empathy i think in every story almost there's something that we can empathize with even if it hasn't necessarily happened we can have that empathy and i think once we begin to have that empathy and to humanize certain groups of people that have been discriminated against that's going to push the needle forward as well thank you for sharing well all of you Shad, very deep imperative points, right? Um, you mentioned unconscious bias, and and Andre, you mentioned about you know confirmation bias, where we want to put things into boxes, right? And to your point, we also put leaders into boxes. That is so true. In organisations, right, we always look up to that white male figure, right, to be a leader. We are so used to to that one particular image, that one particular archetype uh, as a being a leader, we don't explore various leaders. So I want to challenge every listener's viewers out there, your mindset, I want to challenge your views as to, you know, how can you shift that unconscious bias, right? And to everyone's point is to acknowledge that we do have these biases. But I want to highlight one important point. In the past few weeks, where I've been speaking with many organizations and leaders of organizations, this has been recurring where narratives have been said, oh, it's just unconscious bias, let's just move on with it. It's not just that simple to say, let's just move on with it. Are we moving forward together? Or are we moving just on with it by dismissing that narrative again? And I, and I want to highlight this really, really important part of it. As an engineer, my background is in engineering and in designing. And as an engineer and in designing, when designing products, right? In designing products, unconscious bias comes in where we are not designing a certain car for certain type of people with certain type of disabilities. But when you are interacting with people, when you're speaking with people, those unconscious bias with us away because the more you're exposed to media, the more you're exposed to communities, you are exposed to this kind of things, behaviors. And your unconscious bias becomes conscious biases. You are aware that these are happening, but when you're not saying something, it becomes conscious silence. It's a conscious behavior that you're participating in. It's not a bad thing, but it, becomes really difficult to speak up, right? To speak up where you feel like, oh, if I do not say something, my group of peers who look like me are going to say something about me. But at the end of the day, to everyone's point, it's about having the courage to challenge that status quo. Now that brings me to the next question. How can we get systemic communities to come on board to designing 
solutions that work from backwards, right? Because we already know that this is the issue. So how do we work backwards? And when I say solutions from a systemic point of view, how do we tackle peer equity that we have been trying to tackle not just for one year? It's been going on for over a decade, right? How can we start paying women of color equally? How can we ensure that government officials are on board to increasing the minimum wages of $20 an hour to help someone afford rent without them working two jobs where it will equate to what, 80 hours a week, causing burnout, causing health issues. So how can we truly find solutions from a systemic point of view and get communities to get on board? I wanna hear your thoughts. Well, I think the first step there is going to be representation, right? A lot of times we find that um, decisions are being made uh, for certain communities that have been disenfranchised or just overlooked, but the, the people who are part of that community are not a part of the conversation. Again, I think it's so many nuances, and I'm going to say that a lot, and it's so many little moving pieces that someone who is not a part of that group might be unaware of, and it's not because they're a bad person. Because they're a racist, they just don't know because it hasn't been their experience. And sometimes when you're designing something, um, I guess as, as as important and as pivotal um, as policies that are going to help certain people that have been overlooked, you know, you do need those people there. And not only do you need them to be there, and Mila, this goes back to a conversation you and I had. You know, you need environments that are diverse and inclusive. It's not good enough just to have them there. You have to be able to listen to their voice and give them tools to exercise their voice and to exercise their influence. And I think from that representation, then you're going to get members of that group on board because they're going they're going to say, OK, we see this structure is trying to make change and they have someone that's representative of my group a part of the change, okay, let's listen. And then even to further that point, not having just one person of the group, because sometimes, you know, diversity is just that box that people check off, you know, having a few people, because even within groups, there is diversity within same ethnicity, same racial, same gender groups, right? So just really digging deep and committing to the idea instead of doing it on the surface. Um, regarding the uh, government leaders, you know, I feel that if we start a little bit more and if we're a little more aggressive on the local level, we might see the change that we want to see federally. Um, I, I'm a little disheartened sometimes, and I'm not going to go too deep into politics because that's not what we're talking about. But I feel that people are so just excited to vote for the president. And that's great. And you should be right. But I think when it comes to our local elections and the people who are sitting, um, you know, on the boards for schools and doing things in the community and people who make those decisions that directly impact us day to day, we've got to be a little more aggressive there. I think this time shows that more time than any, you know, with everything happening with COVID, you know, who's making the decisions literally as to when your state opens and when your restaurants open, your go your governor is, right? Who's really, you know, curtailing and talking about the riots and the protest, your mayor is. And so I think now really illuminates that time where we have to realize that a lot of the power is locally and we can really implement and put the pressure 
on our local officials to make the changes that we want to see. So I think that's how we can hold them to a standard because it's like a chain effect, right? You work with this particular group and then you just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and it can reach federally. But I think we've got to start there. I think um, that's going to boost some people's morale in the uh, voting process and in the political process because we'll see change a little bit quicker, I think, doing it that way. Yeah, totally, totally agree. A local levels where you got to start on a lot of things. I mean, a lot of the times, a lot of these cities, yes, they have mayors, yes, they have councils, but then you have the city manager who takes care of most of the budgeting, all of these things that happen and go on, right? So how do you do that? You got to go out there and you have to start at the local level. And then to go to the next step, right? I mean, voting is key to a lot of things that we want to change. I mean, that's how we have to get representation. I mean, we have to go out there. And that's what I tell people. Look, if your agenda is this, if your agenda is change, if your agenda is this, get out there. Really, you need foot soldiers. You need people out and say, hey, let's get people to vote. Let's get people. This is uh, information. All these things are vital. Understanding so people know. Here's the problem. A lot of people go to the voting booth. Don't, they, they have no clue what they're voting for. It's sad that that's it, what we go through. And these are the effects. What we feel are the after effects of what's happened. When we have the power to change it, we have to. we got to take advantage of it. And that's how it's going to happen in every aspect of what we're talking about. And I, 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 even what we're talking about would change for uh, women of color. I think it's not even fair for women at all. Uh, pay for women is so scaled. It's insane. My biggest example I tell everybody is go look at the NBA and then look at the women's NBA. See how much those guys get paid. See how much women get paid. You see the scale. You see the difference. It is just like that in corporate America. It's the same thing. It is the same things that they've been going through for years. A lot of that's going to have to change by, again, learning how to empower women. And I think that's one of the hardest things that we're going to have to do. This country is so fighting against it. How can I look across the seas and I can see women prime ministers? I can see everywhere, everywhere else. They accept women. They go, okay, well, of course, it's a natural progression. We have a women in power. We have women who we can't even get that here in this country because there's such a chauvinistic approach to how they feel because they feel threatened, their own insecurities as men. I know I'm a man, but you know what? I'm going to tell you what. There are women that are smarter than me, stronger than me, and I know this, and I accept that. I understand because, again, how can I be an example to my daughters? Look them in the eye and say, sweetheart, you've got a limitation. To hell with that. I'll go to the grave fighting that every damn day, and that's what I'll do until they take my last breath. My my daughters should not have to have that that limitation. So I'll just stop there because I, I could go a lot longer. <laughs> that was beautiful. I love that, Gabe. Um, what what just came to me was that I I am a huge animal lover, huge animal advocate. I have three dogs. I'm surprised you haven't heard them yet, but they can't talk. And they rely on our voices to speak for them. And imagine if we didn't speak for them, 
what what would be done to 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 protect them and and to um, do what's right for them. So it, it takes a voice to change things. They have us to voice to to speak what what they need. Um, your voice is like a pebble in a lake, right? It's like the spark to a fire. Um, so you never underestimate your voice. It may seem like it's so little or it's 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 not going to make a difference, but you'd be surprised. You'd be you'd be surprised and you may not ever realize how big a difference something you said makes ever in your lifetime, but it may have affected someone and prompted someone to do something and take positive action and then be contagious in a good way to someone else. At the same time, having a voice, you need someone to be able to listen to that voice. Um, there's no point just being loud and for nothing. So with, with listening, you don't even just, just say the what, but you need to go underlying and to the why. People have to have a desire to listen to what you're saying or to interact with your point of view or attend your session or whatever it may be. Um, if there's no desire and really if you deep deep down the, the biggest desires are wanting to belong, safety. So if you get down to those levels of, of really seeing what really uh, people are paying attention to, then, then, then at least you can start getting an audience and, and be authentic, tell your story. Sometimes that's the way to connect. And it, it can it can go from there. So be the spark. I keep forgetting. I keep forgetting to unmute. Um, so I I I want to um, echo. I know we don't have a lot of time left for this question, but I, I want to echo a couple of things that that you said, um, Kimberly and 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 Gabe too about the just the importance right now of voting. I, I, I just I can't I can't emphasize enough. The need, um, and it, it gave you said something that that really resonated with me, and the um, how people make decisions to vote, right? That so often decisions to vote are made on such limited information, and there has never been um, a more important time to really learn about the people who are on the ballots. Um, if they have voting records, we need to know what their voting records are. I, this is, I, and I, I'll, I'll say this is just from a personal standpoint for me, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but I, I will say it, is it the first time, for the first time ever, um, I actually have spent the last couple of, I've been to um, forums recently to hear potential mayor candidates speak. Um, I've been, you know, getting armed at council members, you know, you guys are, you've been talking about local level and doing, and, and so I, I have spent much more time in those spaces wanting to learn about the potential candidates and, and there, you know, we should have a list of questions that we want to ask. There should be things that we are reading. And I just, I just want to, I can't emphasize enough um, my agreement with what you are saying about that the right that if you, if you aren't thinking of anything else that you can do, what you can do is research the candidates at your local level, at your state level, um, at the federal level and, and vote um be a well-informed um voter and so i i just i'm i'm gonna stop there yeah i love how there's a focus on the local elections 
but one thing I, I just want to add to all of your stories is that politics is intimidating, especially for those who are, are new to it, who may not understand the full grasp of like, you know, how important their vote is. So taking that and if we're educating ourselves about this, taking it one step further and educating our communities. We were talking before about how, even if it's a small influence with our, our children's, our families, our social circles, our colleagues, using that opportunity to educate them on how to vote, who these people are, where to sign the petition, like, you know, just to unblock as many obstacles for them so that they can make the uh, their right informed decisions if they don't have the, um, if they're intimidated by the, the whole process. And then when we're talking about pay equity, uh, I think it's been taboo to talk about salaries, especially in, in, in corporate for so long. And I really think that we need to just start talking about it. If, if we don't talk about it, if we don't say, hey, like literally, this is my salary, we have the same job, what are you making? And if we don't discover that like we're being underpaid $12,000 compared to our male white colleague, we won't know unless we ask. So we have to open up those conversations and having those hard conversations with our leadership saying, what's going on here? Like it's, and, and then there's, yeah, so just asking about like the company and ensuring that they have equal pay for equal work and adding them to your value system so that you have a line. You're like, no, if if you don't equal pay, then then I'm not working for you. Or if you don't tell me, if you're not being transparent in what the salary range is for real, then I then we're not we're not continuing on this relationship. And make that your superpower. Wow, those are all very powerful, deep thoughts, which I absolutely love. To to your point, Melanie, and you said about you know you have to speak up about your pay, right? How much are you getting paid? And a lot of people feel that it's a taboo to speak about pay, but at the same time, you know, a lot of employees can argue, you know, oh, you know, we pay you more because you perform more. We pay you more because, or we pay you less because we, you're not performing well. But at the same time, humans are not robots. Humans are not dogs. Or humans are not animals, you know, where you give a treat when they are well-behaved. Even animals get treated much more better than humans. So we need to have that diversity in thoughts as well in behavior, in how we are executing. Now, I know we are running out of time, so I want to combine them for my last two questions for our panel over here today. So, you know, we have been speaking about solutions from a systemic approach. How can we fix behaviors in the systems as opposed to fixing my minority groups? Who needs to become sponsors to these efforts? And how can men become allies since system has, the system has been working for men all along? So I know that's an overloaded question. So how can we fix behaviors in a, in the system as opposed to fixing minority groups where men can become allies as well? I want to hear your thoughts on this. 
Um, to to answer the the first part of the question, I am a very big believer of we need to fix the workplace, not the workers, and putting the responsibility, uh, like you know, we put the responsibility to those who are in leadership positions, but we also need to be accountable um, and not just depend on others to make the change. And we talked about this earlier in this talk. Uh, and in order to do that, it's like a change of the mindset where we need to set everyone up for success and stop see seeing people as a competition and changing our mindset that it's a, a dog eat dog world type deal. And to answer your second question about uh, men, men allies. Just sit back and listen. Sit back and listen, and realize that yes, the system may be working for you, but it doesn't work for all of us. And we really want to change the system so it is inclusive. And we don't mean to. Our goal isn't to drive men out. So listen to the stories and pay attention to how women and people of color, like how they share, how they network and how it's different from how it works now. Because what we're doing now isn't working. And when you look at like yourself and your male colleagues, like one of the obstacles I think that corporations are, are coming up to is that, yes, it's fantastic that these corporations are acknowledging that there needs to be more diversity in leadership. But I want them to also acknowledge, like, are they looking around the table and saying, yes, there needs to be more diversity in, in, on, at this table, but I deserve this role. I deserve it to be here, right? But also learning about the, okay, so what got you to the position that you are in? Um, so a couple things and that, um, Melanie, one of the things that I, I want to echo, um, that you said, it really resonates me when you talk about, um, you talk about, it's not about fixing the worker. It's about fixing the corporation. Um, my whole, um, background in work is with schools and in education, and it's not about fixing the kids. It's about fixing the schools. Um, and our, our students aren't failing. Our schools are failing. Um, our students, and in particular, our, our most marginalized students, our students of color, and that um, the systemic racism that, that is built into schools and school systems is something we have got to really unpack and, and dismantle. We are um, to many, many kids. Um, in our schools across this country. Um, and, and that being said, I'm, I'm a big proponent of public schools. I, I'm an educator. I'm a, you know, this is, this is my lifelong work, but the, the work of tackling the systemic racism in schools, um, is long overdue in work that needs to be done. And I, I know, um, you know, just to, again, it kind of goes to where do you have the, the influence and, and the sphere of influence and just to, you know, one of the things that, that we've been doing, um, which um, is really even part of how Mila and I connected is through um, the platform and network that we have on Twitter and the um, community of educational leaders that um, that we work with, that we've been blessed to work with through the publication of the book and, and sort of building um, community. Um, we're spending this whole summer right now. We've um, my co-author and I, um, Beth Hopps, who's a principal, um, wonderful principal in Missouri, have partnered with two really strong. 
um, black women leaders in school and have spent, they're, they're actually really um, leading for us this series of conversations that we're doing on an ongoing basis every single week um, with the goal in mind is what's gonna be different when we start school in September and what is the role that each of us have in making that happen and what, um, how are we going to make sure that we aren't burning out on the work, um, the anti-racism work that we have to do and the, the systems that we need to break down in our schools. And, and so, again, I think looking at where your sphere of influence and, and what action can you take. And I, um, I'm just, uh, really excited about the work that the, the four of us have been doing and, and then all of the leaders who are engaging in that work um, with us. And then in, in regards to the question about men and men being allies, it's interesting when I saw that question, one of the things that um, dawned on me or not, it didn't dawn on me, I'm aware of this and I've had it, but the, um, I am the mother of a 19 year old white privileged male. And if, if you were to look at the, the charts of what um, what accounts for privilege, my son checks off all the boxes. I mean, he's he's 6'3", he's athletic, he's incredibly good looking, he has all this, the family support, he's white, he's, I mean, it's usually just it go down the list, my son is exudes privilege. And I, I think that that um, if we want men to become allies, I think as to my role as a mother, of my son and and how do I teach him what that privilege means and how to use that privilege to be an ally and so we've actually taken my husband and I've taken a lot of opportunities in these and and probably did not take enough opportunities sooner but have taken a lot of opportunities in these last few months to make sure that we are dialoguing with our son about um, the privilege that he has and how he needs to use that to make um, society um, a better, more equal, more just place for people who don't have the same kind of privilege, privilege that he has. So those are a couple of my thoughts. Thanks for sharing your, your story, Shelley. Um, Real briefly, I don't have much to say about this, just a few things. Instead of doing this all the time, blaming, go like this. Starts with us. We all have choices every single day. We may not realize that. We may not realize the power we have. So I think Melanie mentioned superpower. That's a superpower in itself. And even if we don't like who we are, say, in the morning, we can change who we are in the afternoon. In fact, we can change who we are it's in the next minute. So we we shouldn't release that superpower. We should own it. So if you don't like something that's being done, own it. Do something about it. Same with sponsors. Don't assume sponsors have to be specific people that we place in boxes of what they should look like. The sponsors could be you, could start with you, could be you nudging someone else. Um, as far as the second question um, with with the men and being allies, um, I think it's it's also time to to start to stop doing the us versus them mentality and just everything we do. I think everyone's pretty much I like to say this a heartbeat. Um, I know it's easier said than done, but I think putting myself in probably their shoes. Of course, there's all sorts all sorts of opinions, but some of them may not want to be in that position and they feel bad and they want to help. So don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, don't don't and then just don't assume everyone feels the same way if whether they're men women kids whatever we have more in common than you think
Yes, yes, we do. We always do. And for me, like I said, being a father of three young women, um, I try to take the aspect of like I, I, they have to understand that going into this world, it's going to be rough. Um, you're not going to have the same advantage. But I teach them just like I teach a son of mine as well. These, your sisters are your equals, no matter what. You have to see women the same way. Let go of your insecurities. Uh, if they're if they're better qualified, oh well, that's part of what they, that's what part of what we do. We're supposed to take everybody. You look at them at an equal point and go, okay, this is what I this is what really matters. Um, it shouldn't matter the gender. I know that a lot of guys feel that way. They they live that machismo life and they feel they have to. I can't let a woman I can't let a woman beat me. That's a part of the problem. When it comes down to it all, that's what it comes down to is that I can't let a woman beat me. And how do you do it? You got to train, you got to train your young males. Hey, going forward, you got to look at it differently. Um, I, I know that I teach my children that way. And I know that going forward, that's what I want as many people that I come in contact with is telling them that you guys are my equals. You guys are, uh, I am no better what I'm doing here now than what you guys are doing here now. You guys are just the same as me. So. Thank you so much, Mila, for the time. Okay, so, you know, again, uh, when it comes to recognizing the difference between the group that is affecting and the group that is being, um, the group that is effecting and the group that's being affected, um, I think we have to, again, break things down into those smaller pieces. And yes, we have to take personal accountability. I'm all for it, taking personal accountability. I'm all for, you know, self-empowerment because that's going to get us further in the process. But I do think, though, that the drivers of the system need to also be a part of dismantling the system. And it, it seems a, a lot of times that we're looking at the people who are affected and we're like, OK, well, you should do something. And it's like, yeah, but you also are driving the system and it's still in place. So we need some breakdown and some evolution on both sides of the fence. Um, you know, re regarding men. Um, I think Gabe should lead the revolution. You know, he's awesome and he's definitely very fired up about, you know, champion, being a champion or and um, encouraging his daughters to champion themselves and really acting on their behalf and really um, enacting his influence over his son and the men in his life to really treat women as equals. You know, I think an ally is a person who can carry your voice in a space where you don't exist. And if we can have more men understand that, then we can certainly push the needle forward uh, again. Ah, beautiful. Thank you, Gabe. I know you got to run. I really yeah, appreciate you having ladies. your voice. Yes, uh, I enjoyed this conversation so much, ladies. We need to do this again because there's a lot more that we can cover. Um, and again, I, I am thankful for each one of you. Um, you guys are out there doing the work. You're empowering yourselves. And these are the examples that I love to lift up to my daughters and say, look, this is what the world can be. There's enough of you out there. So thank you, each one of you. Andrea, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you so much, everybody else. I got to run. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, for being here. Bye, ladies. Well, that that is the reason why I love having Gabe on. He is such a great human. <clears throat> on top of that, he is a great sponsor. Um, not that he is 
you know, making it rain, but he's making it rain in terms of hearts, right? Where he truly lives another person up. I absolutely love what every one of you mentioned today. And uh, before we go, I want to hear each of your thoughts, each of your thoughts from your personal spaces, the kind of efforts that you are taking either in your passion projects or in your communities, um, being an advocate with your grassroots uh, government levels. Uh, to Shelley's point, you mentioned you go for meetings, you know, to the, when the mayor is speaking. What are each of you doing in your spaces at very granular grassroots levels to, to find solutions or to redesign solutions? So in the spaces that I'm in and the spaces that I'm allowed to be in, you know, I'm using my voice. When I do see, um, you know, implicit bias or I do see someone have an attitude that they're not even cognizant that they're having um, that lends to anything discriminatory, I'm definitely one to speak up. Um, I think there is a way to message things. Um, so I do take into account, you know, my audience and where I am. But I think it's just those little nudges and those little questions that you can ask someone. Are you sure about that? You know, what do you really feel? What's the the real reason? Let's get to the root of this. And I think that sometimes instead of you telling people things, if they're open and if they talk about it, they'll say, hmm, you know what? I think you're right. I think I just have that mindset or that attitude about that person. And I don't know why. And I think those are like the little questions and the little nudges. It doesn't necessarily have to be aggressive all the time. And I'm definitely for the aggression. I don't shy away from it. But I think sometimes it's a lesson is better learned when you facilitate the learning versus directing it and telling people what they should and shouldn't do and what where they're going to go and how things are going to be. Get them to get there on their own. So I think that's like the biggest thing that I'm doing right now and the work that I'm doing because, you know, I don't want to have to bring out the stats, but we know that there is a lot of discrimination against people of color, against women, against women of color in corporate spaces. We need to talk, Kimberly. I think we have a lot in common. So I, I love what you just said, um, facilitate the learning. It's all about empowering. I, that's, that's where my passion lies. Um, I believe not just to, to voice your own opinions, but also realize that not everyone may feel safe um, sharing their voice because they haven't found the right group or the right space. So my passion project is to create those spaces for people. Um, I've done that, as I mentioned in the beginning, through this Twitter community. I've, I've run for the past five years called Dare to Be. Every week we have a one-hour conversation. Um, I've also just started creating another safe space for people to tell their stories of just being human and being kind to each other. Um, last Saturday of each month, I have like an online rally for kindness. I just decided I'm going to do that the last Saturday of each month. Um, so it's it was beautiful. I had my first one last week and it, it was beautiful. Um, people were opening up, connecting, feeling like they weren't alone. And, and that's what you need. Sometimes your voice comes across in different ways. You allow others to share their voice. And, and don't, don't put a, what voice means in a box. It's not always being like loud and audio voice. It's also words. It's also visual, like through paintings or whatever it may be, pictures. So there's different ways to express your voice.
Um, I think um, I think for me, I shared a little bit about some of the things that we're doing with our um, platform on on Twitter and the, the education community um, that I'm blessed to be connected with. Um, and in addition, I think um, maybe I'll speak a little bit to to the you know being a, a business owner and and being um, in particular in the the publishing um, space that that we work in education publishing. Um, and and we we've made some mistakes. And I, you know, I know we've made some mistakes in, in, in what we've done, you know, over the last, we've had the business now for seven or eight years. Um, and, and one of the mistakes that, that we have been working really actively to correct really for, um, even a, the last year and a half too is a, is a recognition that, um, our, if you look at all of our authors, our, our authors are, are very white. Um, there are, they are, um, more males than there are, um, females. And, and so having a recognition of that and realizing that there is a correction that needs to be, that needs to be made there. So we've, we've been really deliberate about, um, wanting to, um, amplify voices of, um, authors of color, educators of color. It's, it's missing in our, it's missing in the line of work that we have is or it's limited it's not missing but it's very limited in comparison and so that's been something that's been really important um to us and we're we're blessed to have some um incredible educators um under contract um working on books and and things for us um right now and um really excited about adding their voices to the work um, into the line of books that we have. Um, so I think that's, that's the piece is, is being aware of that and being committed to that in our work. Um, and I think too, the, the other thing is that we feel, my husband and I feel a real sense of responsibility, um, in, um, helping to, um, shape some of the thinking of the authors who are a part of, of our business and our work. So we've, we have, um, in the last several months, we've started, um, you know, book studies that we invite people to be a part of. We're reading um, together with a, a group of authors and people who are part of our, our learning network, you know, reading um, culturally responsive um, teaching in the brain and, you know, facilitating those kinds of conversations. Um, we have um, a, a wonderful director of culture and community who is facilitating um, article reads and book reads with our authors who want to participate in, in diving deeper into this work. So I think, I think that you, we've talked a lot about as a corporation, what are some of the things that you might be doing? And so there's a couple of things that we're, we've tried really hard to commit to because we recognize that we've made some mistakes and we haven't been, um, we haven't been as cognizant of, of leaving um, voices out as we should have been. So we're trying to correct that. I love what, you're, uh, what you said about uh, making mistakes because that is something throughout this movement uh, we can't be afraid of learning, but also taking our chances of making the mistakes in order to learn and grow. And I really love what everyone was saying. So I just want to add to it, like, yes, educating yourself, um, but also listening to other people's stories. Cause I know what my story is. So I want, and I'm happy to talk about it. So learning what other people's stories are, but really realizing like who they are and why they are the way, like, you know, uh, why they are the way they are. But also what I'm doing in, in my community of uh, what I can when you're talking about the circle of influence, uh, my focus has always been uh, 
mainly around women in tech and girls in tech and mentoring young women in order to help build that confidence at an early age. Because as you said, like you were talking about the, the school systems, um, that is something that like, you know, they're still experiencing. Girls in STEM are, are still being teased about that. The only reason why they are in a STEM program is because they're trying to find a husband, right? These are still the, the biases against them. And having that, having that conversation with them and helping them change their mindset and building up their confidence, letting them know that they have value and they are worth as much etc. Um, that is just something that I am trying to do in, in my circle of influence. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, each of you are doing beautiful work and it's such an honor to have all of you here. And, and this is why diversity is so important, right? Because a lot of the times people think that diversity is an isolated Team, right that belongs in the basement or belongs in the attic or in a corner scary corner like what you see in the movies right beside a water tank in a leaky room with a flickering light where HR belongs to that's the that's the the misconstrued conception that a lot of people have and in the United States in corporate America diversity treated it is treated as though it is like a spare tire, right? That we need to identify, we need to ensure that we check this box. And we need to truly accept that diversity is not a checkbox. Diversity, <laughs> it is inherently intrinsic and present in our environment, in our bodies, right? Our heart is not the same as our liver. Our liver is not the same as our gut. If our body is a testimony of what diversity is, and our thought processes is a dime, but it's a testimony of what diversity is, we need to truly embrace that the environments that we are in, we belong in, we are accepted in, we are creating, we are designing not just for ourselves, we are designing for others. Diversity is going to be inherently, intrinsically present because we live in a world which is more so than ever, which is global and globalized. And to everyone's point and to Andrea's point, it is the year of 2020. It is the year of perfect vision, a perfect vision which is a wake up call for everyone, right? We have been in hibernation, I say hibernation because it's under lockdown. For six months, is it almost six months? It almost feels like six months because January started and then it just went under, everyone was like getting ready to go under lockdown for six months, right? Under lockdown, people finally realized that being social is such an important facet of our lives, right? Being distant from, a fa from their families where they were not able to see their family members, which was like an hour away or a state away, it made them realize that how much privilege that each of us have. Privilege in a sense that having the liberty to drive, to get in a car and drive to our parents, having the liberty to get in the car and go to a restaurant and meet up with our friends, it made us realize that 
The privilege that we have is not the same privilege as other people have, like myself. It's not I get in the car to go visit my mum. I have to take a flight to go visit my mum. So it made us realize about what diversity is, what belonging is, what acceptance is. And solutions does not come from a singular lens. It comes from nuanced lenses like each of you touched today, right? To build solutions, it needs to come from media. It needs to come from the narratives that we build. It needs to come from the behaviors that we consciously execute on. It needs to come from the mindfulness as to checking our own privilege, checking on our own errors, our own faults, to Shelley's points, right? Solutions is also about building, designing, and redesigning systems that have been in place that is not facilitating another human being. It is also about redesigning and rethinking culture because culture is just not about ping pong tables, free snacks, and shiny objects. Culture consists of people. Culture consists of diversity. Culture consists of beating hearts. So we need to approach it from a systemic perspective. And thank you each and every one of you for being here. You can find all of our partners today on LinkedIn, and I'll be putting up their links soon on LinkedIn and on the YouTube video. Viewers, thank you for watching. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, thank you for being here, part of this discussion, panelists. I really appreciate your time. And next week, we will be speaking on action items. We touched on solutions today. Next week, we'll be touching on action items. What action items do we need to take as a community, as a nation, and as a global citizen? So thank you, everyone, for watching. Tune in again next week. Thank you.